really loved this study. And, and we're coming to John. Please turn to John. This, oh, this book. The book of John is, is one of my, my favorites. As I read it, I just, I get excited about it. We've been going through the book of John verse by verse with, with our youth, and it has been a fascinating study. But you might come this morning and you're like, okay, we have, we've had three Gospels. Why another Gospel? I mean, when we went to Matthew, I mean, think about it. Matthew was a powerful message as we looked at his focus delivering to the Jews the, the promised prophecy that had been fulfilled. And then you get, we looked at Mark and, well, as we looked at Matthew, we saw the anointed one. But when we looked at Mark, he just got to the point, man, he wanted everybody to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we saw Jesus as a servant savior. Luke last week, I, I like Luke, I, I like timelines and all of that, and he presented in such a detailed account of, of Jesus in that consecutive order and, and really, Luke, when you read it, was given both for Jew and Gentile. So we're like, we have the details. We have basically something for all men, right? And, and we come, we've seen him as Savior. We've seen him as a perfect man, anointed one. All of this, why do we need another gospel? And if you're asking that, that's a good question. But John approaches his rendering of giving us the good news in, in a very unique way. And look at the, just consider some of the uniquenesses of John. When you read through it, you will discover that most of what John writes is not duplicated from any of the other Gospels. What he's sharing with us is, is something that we haven't heard yet. Someone who is very close to Jesus. And, and when we look at the book, it, it kind of goes in the timeline, but it's not linear in fashion in the way that John lays out Christ for us and presents Jesus to us. It's more of a, a conceptual approach. And when he looks at these Concepts it conveys a very specific message that John wants you and I to understand There is a purpose for his writing uh, this gospel as you read it Feels very intimate When you when you flip through the pages of John and if you didn't do that this last week, I would encourage you to this is a very intimate writing. And as you, as you flip through the pages, you, you begin to see that John was so close to this Jesus that he's describing. As, as he reveals Jesus, we, we see a, a passion. Not only the passion of Jesus Christ, we see John's passion for for this man that he knew so intimately. The, the message is, is heartfelt. 
In fact, John in this gospel, the only way that he can truly express himself and who he is is to identify as the one Jesus loved. You know what's interesting? As you read John, as others would come and discover Christ in the pages of John, each of us would, would look at that and go, wow, I, I'm the one Jesus loved. What a neat way to be able to identify yourself as one Jesus loved. He realizes that, that Jesus, in, in, light of, in light of Christ, he, he stands there realizing who Jesus is. And he, he just is blown away by the concept, he loves me. D.L. Moody, an amazing, amazing godly man, Dr. Moody, um, well-versed in the scriptures. They, they started a, uh, a college teaching the scriptures even. Somebody approached him and asked, and this is not unique to him, but somebody said, what is the greatest thought or, or concept that's ever crossed your mind as you studied the pages of Scripture? And he responded, Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. That's quite something for a man who is well-versed in the pages of Scripture. The most profound thought or concept that he could even convey is that Jesus loves me. If you let nothing else sink in today, I want you to understand that truth. The Gospel of John is written in some of the most simple Greek out there. In fact, it's written pretty much, the entire Gospel is written at an elementary level. That means our kids that were just dismissed to children, oh, I didn't dismiss them, did I? Oh. If you're in third grade and you didn't leave because I didn't say something, you can now go, oops, See those silly things that I say or don't say. <laughs> I digress. It's written for elementary. They can understand it. Yet as we approach this amazing gospel of John, it, it holds for us some of the most profound things ever written in Scripture that still makes theologians go, wow! And some just scratch their head in, in wonder. What an amazing way to come to God. In a way that we can understand, yet in a way that just causes awe. Its profound and powerful message is, is delivered with a very clear purpose. 
I love that about this gospel. I like to know, okay, what is the purpose of why we're coming here? And John delivers that in a beautiful way. Please, we're not going to start at the very beginning of John. I want you to turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 gives us the purpose, and there is good reason for the different coloring here, which you'll understand in just a minute. But I want to read the purpose in whole, and then I want us to break this down and consider the purpose of the Gospel of John. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's, let's look at this and, and break it down. Let's, let's go back to verse 30. Therefore, I love that verse. Or that verse, no, that word. You should always consider what it's there for. And after reading these things, after reading John's gospel, all of this was written for a purpose. Therefore, and it says, but these, nope, sorry, many, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. Jesus did many great works. He did many signs. And, and when you look at Matthew, he did 20 different miracles. That's a lot. It's recorded there. Mark has 18. Luke records 20. But when we come to John, we have seven. There is a reason John is, is recording there. But there's so much more. But there's a purpose for what he's written. He goes on, which are not written in this book, which means there's other things written about Jesus, and they have their purpose, but John has a purpose for what he's going to write. He's like, look at those things, consider Christ, but these are written with a purpose. But these have been written so that, so that, There is a reason these were written. You want to hear the reason? John spells it out for you. You may believe that. There is a belief that should occur as you go through the pages of John, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as you see Jesus displayed before you, there is a belief that should occur. Intellect. As we have Christ revealed to us, we need to think on these things. So many come to the scriptures and fail to engage their minds. They're like, make me feel good. Well, feelings do this. And if you're a teenager, they do this. <laughs> But feelings are inconsistent. You need to engage your mind when we come to the scriptures. Think about it. 
so that you may believe. Belief requires both knowledge and choice. We've been talking about that last week, and we'll talk about this week in Sunday school as well. It requires knowledge and choice, and John will introduce to you Jesus Christ in order that you believe in him. Jesus. When he introduces Jesus, we see his humanity. When we introduce the Christ, the Messiah, we see his royalty. The one from the promised line of David. Rightful heir to the throne. And when we see him as the son of God, we see his deity. John is introducing us to Jesus so that believing as you and I believe there is a spiritual production of something and that is life you may have life in his name John is presenting Jesus so that you and I can have life you and I can live to the fullest that's his purpose isn't that exciting some of you are like, explain this. I'm not as excited about this. That's because you didn't read John this week. John is amazing, and this purpose unfolds as, as he goes and he shares this, this gospel with us. So I want to look and see how John conveyed this purpose throughout his book, and we're going to look at that. His gospel begins in a very unique way. I love how, how he powerfully depicts the incarnation. We looked at that a little bit at Christmas, but Matthew, he traces all the way back to Abraham, right? That's his focus. Mark, he gets to the point. Luke, he goes, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to go all the way back to Adam. John's like, I'm going to skip the genealogy. I want you to know he goes back before time. He goes back to the beginning. Isn't that amazing? He's like, I want you to understand before Adam, before Abraham, he was. Look at, look at the beginning verses. I, I love reading them, and they never grow old. The first five verses, look. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Think about that. God. Light. And, and we sang about it. The light stepped into the darkness, into this dark, dark world. And you don't have to live very long to discover how dark this world is, and it's getting darker. Oh, but when it's darker, oh, the light shines all the brighter. And church, we have been called to be the light. But the light stepped into the darkness. Look at, look at verse 14. This is him stepping in. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. 
Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. The light stepping into the darkness. God coming to something dirty and filthy. Why? We'll get to there. It's his heart. You're going to see the heart of God on the pages of John. It doesn't take long to see the heart. I mean, you see the light stepping into the darkness. It's in the darkness that a man by the name Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Has a conversation about being born again. I, I love that Nicodemus comes at night. The contrast of night and light. Darkness and light. We see it throughout the pages. But he comes at night and Jesus sheds light on the love of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. Pause right there. Let that sink in. I want you to think of some people that are in this world. People that you may not like. Boy, that didn't take long. Man, they popped in your head real quick. I'm just guessing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. Yay! Why? No, we're already judged. Our sin has already condemned us. But that the world might be saved through him. That's why God did it. And we see his love unfold on the pages of John. God loves this world that he created. He loves mankind. He has a heart for his creation. He looks down he sees his creation, mankind, perishing in their sin. Oh, God hates death. The consequence so he sends his son to bring you and I salvation. What an amazing gesture. What amazing love. God in the flesh declaring before man that if you believe in me, you will have life. John is unfolding this, this concept of believing leads to life. And the believing is not in ourselves. Oh, church, don't, don't buy into those self-help books. They are a waste of money, a waste of time. If you want to grow, if you want life, if you want the greatest life, then your belief can't be in yourself. It's in Jesus Christ. That's where the help comes from. John doesn't really share parables in, in his gospel. I know you guys love parables because they're so crystal clear. 
John does more of his teaching through parallelisms. Parallelisms. Man, that's fun to say. But, but it's a contrast, so to speak. For example, light and darkness. We get that, right? Turn the lights off, can't see. Turn the lights on, oh, I see. Okay, he talks about law and grace. Law was crushing, but it revealed our sin. And grace, oh, we need grace. And oh, how Jesus brings grace. He talks about the difference of weakness. He shows our weakness, yet he replaces it with strength. And where we are weak, he is strongest. We, he talks about the physical hunger. Today, believe it or not, is the biggest eating day of the year in the U.S. Believe it or not, we eat more on Super Bowl Sunday than we do on Thanksgiving. I, pfft, crazy. I'm not sure if it's as healthy as Thanksgiving, but you know, we eat a lot. We, we, we are concerned about our physical hunger about the physical things, and Jesus comes and he, he compares that with our spiritual hunger. The thing is, is so many are starving spiritually, yet they are content to continue. When I get a grumbling in my belly, I find something to fill it. But so many walk through this life with that spiritual hunger, trying to fill it with nothing but emptiness and the more they f try to fill it the hungrier and more starved they are there's a there's the concept of fear to faith that the the idea that the things we face in life are scary oh but when we have faith it's dissipated christians we don't live in fear we live in faith and then the beautiful parallelism of death to life. Through Jesus Christ. As you read through the pages of John, you see that you and I can step from death, lost in our sins, and we step into life. Eternal life. And, and, and that eternal life begins now. I as, as John unfolds these truths, as he unfolds the teachings of Jesus, he, he describes situations and narratives where Jesus gives signs. And, and often we come to these things and we're like, these are miracles, which they are. But John describes them as signs, signs, seven of them, to prove that Jesus is God. In the flesh here's a sign for you he gives seven of them the first one is water to wine it begins there at the wedding feast the second one is when Jesus heals the nobleman's son the the restoration that comes with the gospel the good news and you and I can enter into that restoration Jesus heals the paralytic I love, he goes, is it easier to forgive this man's sin or, or tell him to walk? Well, so you know that I'm God. Well, I'll tell him to walk and forgive his sins. The Pharisees couldn't get it. 
Jesus fed the multitudes. We're told there's 5,000 men there, which we know there must have been more. And he feeds them, and it's, uh, honestly, they were happy about getting their bellies fed. They wanted to make him king because they could feed him. But when it's done, Jesus made sure there were 12 baskets of food left. Peter, here's a basket for you. Remember this. John, here's a basket for you. Thaddeus, here's a basket for you. All 12 got to hold on to that basket as they got in the boat and look at it. Look at Jesus. Wow. Jesus would walk on water. I love that when he does that, we see the very word that had a, an, an integral part in creation. His creation obeys and listens. The water calms. One of my favorite signs is when Jesus heals the blind man. It's such a favorite sign of mine. I want to take you there. It's, turn to chapter 9. This is a really, really fun just a neat thing Jesus does. There's a blind man. He's been that way from birth. And typically when someone was born with, with some type of physical ailment like that, they, they would assume that either the parents sinned or the kid had sinned. That's why he was born that way. I mean, we know we're all born sinners, but, but they were placing the blame on this and Jesus' disciples even asked, you know, whose sin is it? Is it the parents or his that, that he was born like this? Jesus answers this way. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. But here's why this man was born blind. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Think about your weakness. Think about what you constantly complain to God about yourself. This man had grown up this way. I'm sure many times he griped and grumbled about it. And Jesus says, no, 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 I did this to glorify God. I want you to see how God's going to get the glory. Jesus heals this man. He goes to the, the, the Pharisees and the, the priests and all of that to show that he's been healed. And they're like, well, how did this happen? They grumble about it. Isn't that pathetic? God does something amazing, and the religious leaders go and grumble about it? They have an issue with it. And, and jump over to verse 24. I mean, there's a whole narrative, and they even go and interview his parents and all of this. How did this happen? Really? Why can't we just be happy for him and rejoice? Wow. Verse 24. I, this narrative just cracks me up. 
If you don't believe that Scripture is just about real life, I mean, this narrative ought to, ought to seal that for you. It says, The second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. He's saying, they're asking, who healed you? How did you get healed? He goes, uh, Jesus. They're like, give glory to God. Not this man, he's a sinner. Wow. You know what's really fun? Just so you understand the setting here. The, the Pharisees here are like the PhD level of theologians, right? I mean, they really study the word. They are the doctors and PhDs. They know their stuff. This man's been blind. He's a beggar. Probably not as well educated. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Let's keep it real simple, folks. I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> oh. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answers them, I told you already. You did not listen. Really? Pay attention here. Have you ever read the scriptures with real life, or do you just read it as something to, to read through and say, well, I read it. I encourage you, read it with real life. Think about what's going on. He's, this guy's getting frustrated with these religious guys. He's like, are you really that dense? Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples, too. You want to be his disciple? Is that what you're asking? Oh, that must have really enraged them, right? <laughs> they reviled him and said, You are his disciple? But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he has come from. The man answered and said to them, well, I love the way the NLT says it. It's like, wow, you are trained and you don't know this? He says, well, here is an amazing thing that you don't know where. This amazes this guy. He's like, seriously? I keep losing my place every time I look at you. He goes, uh... He is from, and you don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears them. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This blind man that now sees is taking these guys to task. I love it. I love the boldness of our young people. 
Because they have the audacity to look at God's word and go, well, that's what God says. Why can't you get that? And they are bold for the Lord. The, the response of the Pharisees is they answered him, you are born entirely in sin. And are you teaching us? So they put him out. They kick him out. That may be the result when we stand for Christ. Jesus gives one other sign when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Talk about another amazing thing. Lazarus is dead in the tomb. Jesus comes out. And by the very word, remember the word became flesh. And all Jesus does. He has that stone rolled away and he declares, Lazarus! Come here. At that very command of God in the flesh, death has to release its grip. Death has no control when the Word of God speaks. And life is seen. Over and over, all of these signs, they would either produce belief or disbelief. And for the ones that believe, it produces life. For the ones who disbelieve, it produces death. And as John unfolds all of these signs, you and I have the same choice to either believe or disbelieve. I choose to believe. These signs pointed to God in the flesh right there before them. But these signs would rub simple hearts. They would rub it like sandpaper and they would harden their hearts all the more and allow their hearts to be blind. Rather than see the light that stood before them, they chose to be blind. Jesus, the great I am, is in their midst. I love that John records in his gospel seven great I am statements of Jesus. We have four of them up here behind me. As Jesus teaches, as he declares who he is, he declares, I am the bread of life. The one who will fill that void spiritually. I am the light of the world. You are in darkness, I bring light. He is, I am the gate for the sheep. The gate is the way that you approach God. Jesus is that gate. And it says, I am the good shepherd. Not only is he the gate for the sheep, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Oh, what a shepherd. What a God. And then he declares, because if you lay down your life, you die. But he says, I am the resurrection. And because of that, you and I have the opportunity to have a living shepherd, one who comes alongside of us. He declares in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
And he declares, I'm the true vine. The way that you and I bear fruit is by being in Christ. John, in, in his, his gospel, has a very detailed account of the arrest, the trial, and the death. John approaches the death almost as, as one who has a loved one who says, I'm about to die, come close. I want to share my heart with you. And you listen with great, great attention. John has a fondness for the very final words of Jesus. And in chapters 13 through 17, he, he records those for us so that we can see the intimate heart of Jesus before he goes to the cross. It's the most detailed account. The five chapters cover only a few hours of time. Five chapters, and we see John capture Jesus comforting. Some of the most comforting words in Scripture come from these chapters. As he comforts his disciples before he goes, there's assurance, there is peace. If you're struggling, I'd encourage you to go back and read chapters 13 through 17. Get a glimpse of the heartbeat of our Savior. John shares, or Jesus shares, John captures in the conversation that Jesus is going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will guide, lead, comfort, and strengthen these, these five chapters are known as the upper room discourse detailing in, in vivid detail Christian living for you and I with great encouragement and comfort. John describes the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. He was there. He observed it. At the foot of the cross, it was John that was there. And we have that detail. As you read the words as John is penning, you can almost feel the horror and the grief that John is feeling as this, this word made flesh hangs on the cross, breathing his last. As John describes the death of Jesus, no doubt his mind goes back to what he writes in John chapter 1, 29. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world by his shed blood. But three days later. I'm so glad three days later happened. Because this would be a really bummer sermon if three days later didn't happen. Life. 
Oh, John recounts the, the resurrection and the resurrection story. He recounts when the women come and are, are just declaring and screaming, he's alive. And they run back. And I love that John, you see the humanness in John. John's like, you know, both uh, Peter and I ran back, but uh, <clears throat> the one that Jesus loved got there first. I love that. He's like, I was running harder. I needed to see this. I wanted to see my Savior risen. Oh, oh, and the life that comes. And when he looks, Jesus is alive. He is risen. Oh, you should be ready for this. We have done the Gospels four weeks in a row. I have not failed to do that. He is risen. And we get to declare that. And John got to declare it. And he declares it in such vivid detail. In two chapters, he recounts how Jesus was seen, how Jesus had conversations multiple times. Jesus is encountering those who follow him. He has fellowship with Jesus. Oh, that you and I, because he lives, can have fellowship with Jesus. We come on a morning like this to worship him. Why? Because he lives. And we enter into that fellowship with you, me, together with him. He recounts the peace, oh, the peace that came with that resurrection. Oh, the world was in turmoil. Believe me, it was awful in John's day, but there was a peace that came. And as he recounts, he recounts getting to break bread with Jesus, that communion. Oh, to come and, and break bread with Jesus and fellowship with him. And, oh, and I love that John records this. None of the other Gospels do. Peter never even really approaches it. We, we see the effects of the conversation in Peter's life. But John records for us Jesus pulling Peter aside. And three times he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, God, you know I love you. Jesus, you know I do. Take care of my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Peter breaks down. Lord, you know all things. I love you. Because he'd seen the love of his Savior. He saw it. John records that for us. Showing that those who believe will have life. Why? Because of the Savior who lives. Because of the Savior who loved you and I enough to die on the cross and rise again and forgive our sins. In the very words of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you love him? Do you believe in the work that Jesus did for you and I? Because of what Jesus did, you and I can declare 
Jesus loves me. I know this. You know this. Because the Bible has told us so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you demonstrated that love. The scripture says you showed us that love while we were still sinners. Enemies in opposition with you and you extend the gift of salvation through your son. God, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have not placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in his death, his burial, oh, his glorious resurrection, God, today would be the day that they see they understand, they know who you are and what you've done, and they believe. Oh, in that believing God, they would have life. Life eternal, life even now in this day. God, that you would give that. I pray that you would do a work in people's hearts. God, for us who have that life, who have believed in your Son, oh, God, thank you. We, we, we come before you and just praise you. We thank you for that amazing, simple, but profound truth that you loved us. And we know that because of your word. So God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.